Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your holy and sacred word, and we look to you this morning, Lord, that you would be pleased, O Lord, to teach us, that you would be pleased, O Lord, to meet us right where we are. For, O Lord, as we look to you, we realize you're the only one who really knows where we are. You're the only one that truly understands our hearts. We ask, O Lord, that you'd be pleased to meet us at that place, that you would lift us, O Lord, that you would take us on that path, that pilgrimage of making us more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Purify us, O Lord, as we look to you, and use your word this morning, Lord, to those great ends. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 16 we have uh, what could probably be said of all of the psalms, all 150 psalms in this altar, we have a snapshot, if you will, of saving faith. But I want to point that to your attention this morning in Psalm 16 because I think we especially have a snapshot of saving faith as it is being exerted or as it is being exercised. Let me whet your appetite for what I'm going to say in this message. If we look at verse 1, we see uh, David, the New Testament makes it clear, as well as the title makes it clear that David is the author of this psalm. And he is calling on the Lord for preservation. We see that in verse 1, preserve me. Uh, Verses 1 and 2. Verse 3, Uh, David finds delight in the saints in the land, if you will. He finds delight in the the people of God. They are his delight. They are the excellent ones. We might call this association. Uh, We have preservation. We have association. Verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Uh, Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. Here we have worship for sure. Uh, We could call it constant. Uh, consecration, if we want to make this nice and neat and have everything end with I-O-N, consecration. And verses 5 and 6, we have portion. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And verses uh, 7, if you will, 
we have counsel or instruction. Uh, in verse 8, we have vision. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and shall not be shaken. And then in verses 9, 10, and 11, we have resurrection, don't we? And that's the connection with Easter, right? Amen? Resurrection. As I've already said in the, in the service, every Lord's Day should be a celebration of the resurrection. Let's not think of the resurrection as something we celebrate once a year. Uh, we should be celebrating that every Lord's Day. But of course, the church, we gather today as the men and women and children of God to celebrate, especially today, to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what I would like to do this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit is go back to verse number one and take a look at this psalm through the lenses, if you will, of a snapshot. Let's try to imagine this psalm as a snapshot. A snapshot of a, uh, of a saint that's gone before us uh, who is exerting saving faith, who is exercising saving faith. What does it look like? Uh, the psalm powerfully answers that. In verse 1, the psalmist says, preserve me. Uh, in, in the original language, this is a very strong word. It means keep me diligently, watch over me, guard me. Uh, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Another very strong word. It's the idea of seeking shelter as children. Uh, we run to our fathers and we run to our mothers uh, for shelter. Uh, it's actually a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when your children run to you, isn't it? Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's refuge. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And if we take verses 1 and 2 together, we'll notice that David is using three different names for the Lord here. Preserve me, O God. First name. Second name in verse 2, I say to the Lord. Third name, you are my Lord. Uh, in verse number one, the, 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 the word behind God there, the, uh, the Hebrew name uh, is a general name for God, if you, were, uh, if you will. It's the name El. Uh, sometimes you'll hear El Shaddai. Uh, the general name for God is El. Uh, David is saying, preserve me, O El, if you will. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, notice the capital letters, capital L-O-R-D. I've pointed this out many times, that that's the English translators are letting us know that the great I am is being referenced here. Uh, the name that, uh, that God gives to Moses at the burning bush uh, is being referenced here. The great I am. And then you are my Lord. Uh, capital L, lowercase O-R-D. Uh, the name Adonai is uh, being translated, meaning sovereign one. What is David saying? O oh God, preserve me, for in you I take refuge. I say to the great I am, you are my sovereign one. That's what's being said there in this great uh, opening of this great hymn. Now we have two things. Saving faith is being exercised here in two uh, very clear ways. In one way, uh, uh, David is looking to God as the one uh, who has, 
his benefactor who has given him everything that's good in his life. For he says, I have no good apart from you. In other words, everything in my life that is good has come from you. In the church, sometimes we sing uh, a, a chorus known as the doxology. Uh, some of you will recognize that. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And it captures that truth. Everything that's good in our lives has come from God. It's come from the great I am, the self-sufficient one, the one who doesn't need any external uh, things whatsoever. He's in need of nothing. In fact, he is the supplier of all things. Coming from the sovereign one, the one who's in complete control. And that leads us to the second way that sovereign, that the, 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 the saving faith is being exercised here. Notice, uh, you are my Lord, you are my sovereign. I think it's a little easier for us to sing, praise God, from whom all blessings flow, uh, than it is to sing, I see the Lord seated upon the throne. Uh, there's lots of people in our culture today that recognize everything good in their lives come from God. But there's significantly less people in our culture who look to God as Lord. This is a crucial, crucial mark of saving faith that distinguishes unsaving faith from saving faith. He's calling on God as preserver, the great I am, the sovereign one. He is both benefactor and Lord. Verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. What is David saying there? Saying his heart is, is out for the saints. Well, who are the saints? And before you answer that, remember, this was written long before the organization of New Orleans ball team. Okay? I want to make sure you're still with me here. Who are the saints? They're the ones who are called by God's grace. I pray that it's every one of us this morning called by God's grace, set apart from the rest of the world, extracted from the world, and adopted, if you will, into the family of God. Has that happened to you? Have you been plucked out of this world by the sovereign hand of God? And have you been engrafted into the family of God that you can truly call on God this morning as your father? If the answer is yes, then look around you. You're in the company of brothers and sisters. And David is looking at his brothers and sisters and he's saying, this is an excellent family we have here. I love my family. And that is a significant mark of saving faith and exercise. It's so significant that the Apostle John in his first letter recognizes it as one of the significant marks of saving faith. He says, this we know, 1 John 3, 14, and this we know that we've passed from death, from, from death to life because we love the brothers. Adelphoi in that verse is, is, is inclusive of brothers and sisters. We love the brothers, we love the sisters. He goes on to say, for he who does not love abides in death, still lives in death. <coughs> I remember hearing a story. I've been thinking about this story all week. Uh, it's, it's a tragic story, but it's a story that happens all the time. It's a story of a man who decided to come to church one, one morning. It happened many years ago. He decided he would grab his family and go attend church. And uh, he went into what I believe was a Bible-believing church. And 
sat there, and as the service was going on, he, he was observing the people around him, and he asks himself this question, is this the people that I want to spend eternity with? And of course, he answered the question emphatically, no. And he left the church that day never to return. To my knowledge, he's never returned. That's so sad, isn't it? He couldn't participate in the worship. He didn't like the company. He didn't like the message. But not so with David. David's the complete opposite. He longs for the company. And this is one of the things we should ask ourselves if we're evaluating our faith, whether it is true or not. Do you long for the people of God? Do you long to be in the company of true believers? Is that where you feel like you belong? I talked with a, a person just the other day who I believe has come to saving faith and has come to saving faith quite recently. And this person said to me, and I just don't feel like I belong. And of course, this person was making reference at the workplace and making reference to some, some pockets in the workplace that are, they're, they're indeed quite uh, ungodly, if you will. My response to this person was, that's a good thing. That's really a great thing. That's what David is saying here. We have preservation. We have association. Verse 4, we have worship, or we might call it consecration if you want them all to end with I-O-N. I don't really care. Worship's a better word. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. These words may sound strange or even bizarre to some of us. But I would submit to you that the truth that's in these verses hits our hearts very, very close to home. What uh, David is talking about is false worship. More specifically, he's talking about idolatry. That's what he is making reference to. In every generation, in every age, idolatry has just run amok. Uh, we were created to worship. Our problem is we don't worship what we're supposed to worship. We worship things other than Jesus Christ. We worship things other than God through Jesus Christ. Every one of us is a worshiper. It's not like you're going to become a worshiper today. You already are a worshiper. The question is who or what is it that you worship? That's the big question. That's the ensuing question. David is saying here, I refuse. I refuse to engage in false worship. If we might put it into, if we might take this ancient language and make it into, can put it in the contemporary language, I, I refuse to worship these sports teams and these uh, celebrities. I refuse to do that. I won't do that. I refuse to worship money and power. I refuse to worship stuff. But you know, <laughs> I, think the, I think the one that hits us close to home is this one. I refuse to worship self. Boy, that self is a tough one, isn't it? When we wake up in the morning, if we're not careful, who are we serving? Me. Myself. I. There's a trinity for you. David's refusing it. How is he refusing it? Verse 5 answers that. The Lord is my chosen what? Portion. And my cup. 
You hold my lot. Verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What's that all about? What's the meaning of all of that? Well, in verse 6, notice the lines. The, most of your translations have something very similar to that. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. What is David making reference to? What is, what is, what is he talking about? If we were all ancient Israelites, we would know right now. Because when our forefathers were brought into the promised land, what happened? Under Joshua, as, we were, as they were brought into the promised land uh, by divine appointment, everyone was given a portion of the promised land. The lines are boundary lines, if you will. They all had a portion. All 12 tribes had a portion of the land except for one, except for Levi. What was Levi's portion? Does anybody remember? It's the Lord Himself. The Lord Himself. Here David is saying that the Lord is His chosen portion, but we might, we might scratch our heads and we say, wait a second, David's not a Levite. David's not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. How can David say this? David can say this because he's a child of God. <laughs> Realize... Realize that the gifts that we get whenever we become children of God. What is our portion? You know, we just got done eating breakfast together, you know, and we all had a little portion of what was going on back there, and it was all really good, wasn't it? I mean, everyone got a portion. There was enough for everyone, and it was brought in for everyone. And when God gives us gifts and He gives us a portion, what is the greatest portion that He gives us? He gives us Himself. Here are... I can give you nothing better than me. I'm, I'm going to give you the greatest thing I can give you, which is me. What could outdo God? It's been well recognized over the centuries that there are really three different metaphors going on in verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion. I've already kind of developed that first. My cop is the second. And you hold my lot would be the third, having already talked about the portion. What's the cup all about? Now the cup's pointing to sustenance. You know, when we, when we, every day we have to eat and every day we have to drink. That's our, that, that's our necessary sustenance. Uh, the Lord it not only gives us Himself as our portion, but He gives us Himself as our sustenance, is what David is saying here. And in this final metaphor, this final metaphor is incredible. David says to the great I am, to the sovereign one, you hold my lot. What's the meaning of that? Well, today, I mean, there's needs for alarm systems and there's needs for locks on the door and there's needs for all of these things because... If we're, if we're blessed enough to manage to, to come up with a few things that are kind of nice, we're always in risk of losing them, aren't we? It's the purpose of an alarm system, purpose of locks on the doors, fire alarms, all of those things. What about this? Can we lose this? If you've received the Lord as your portion, if you've received the Lord as your cup, no one can take it away from you. Why? Because the great I am holds it for you. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that incredible? It can't be taken away because there's no one strong enough to take it away because it is God's will that it never be taken away. It's yours. What do we have here? We have preservation, association. We have worship. We have portion. Verse 7, we have instruction. Well, where would we be without instruction? We're getting instruction now, right? David has come to learn these things somehow, right? I bless the Lord who gives me what? Counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. David has learned all these things. How has he learned all these things? By the power and agency of the Holy Spirit who has taught him these things. Same way we learn these things. Right? Instruction. I don't think we need to say a lot about instruction. How about verse 8? Vision. I have set the Lord always before me. We probably all have an idea what that means, to have the Lord always set before us. It's to, it's to have Him on our minds at all times. It's to, it's to see everything that's going on in your life uh, through the lenses, if you will, uh, of Scripture, or see that through the lenses of God and His work in your life. We've already touched on it. Everything that's good in our life, where did it come from? It's come from God. Let's not stop right there, though. What about the struggles that are in our lives? Where have they come from? Now, we've been studying this one a little bit on Wednesday nights in terms of studying providence and setting the Lord before us always really involves uh, seeing everything through the lenses of God's providence. When we receive nice things from the Lord, when we receive blessings, when we receive those things that we need uh, from His gracious hand, we, we understand that uh, God is being gracious and merciful to us. Uh, but when struggles and trials come, they come by way of the Lord as well, don't they? And what is God doing through those seasons? He's strengthening us. He's building character in us. He's working in our lives. So what do we have here? We have preservation. We have association. We have worship. We have portion. <laughs> We have instruction, we have vision, and lastly, we have resurrection. Notice the therefore in verse 9. Therefore is a concluding word. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. We can see that by now, can't we? Hopefully, our hearts are being stirred to rejoice this morning as we, as we read these things because the application to David here is the same to us as it is to him. I'll make that point even clearer in a moment. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. What's that all about? What's verse 10 all, all, all about? I've already mentioned it several times. It's pointing to uh, the resurrection. We have a divine, it's divinely inspired commentary on verse 10, by the way. And uh, we, we read it. We read one of them, actually, uh, at the opening of the service in Acts chapter 2. Uh, if you would hold your place right here in Psalm 16 and turn to Acts chapter 2 uh, again. Uh, I usually don't like to, to do this, and, but I think it would be very profitable for us to, uh, uh, to turn to Acts chapter 2 and look at part of the passage that we uh, began with this morning. In chapter 2 of Acts, the Apostle Peter is giving his famous Pentecost sermon. Uh, 
And as he's giving this Pentecost sermon, he's quoting from several places in the Old Testament. And uh, in verse 25 through 28, he quotes Psalm 16, 8 through 11. He's quoting our psalm. And in verse 29, he begins to comment. This is where we get the divinely inspired commentary uh, on Psalm 16. Uh, if we back up to verse 27, chapter 2, verse 27, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 28, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. He's quoting the verses from Psalm 16 and then he offers this commentary in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of that we are all witnesses. What is Peter saying to us? He's saying that we've had, we have David's grave here. David died. David was buried. His flesh did what our flesh does. It saw corruption. But way back in Psalm 16, David foresaw the one who was to come, the one who was promised, who would be seated on his throne, who would rule forever and ever. David saw him and rejoiced. don't need to hold your place there, but turn to Acts 13. Just turn a couple of pages to the right. Here we have the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel. As he's preaching the gospel in verse 35, he's going to quote from a psalm. Guess which psalm it is? Psalm 16. He says in verse 35, Therefore he says also in another psalm, that is David, also says in another psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 36, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything. You hear that? Freed from everything. Freed from everything. From which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. What's going on here? Paul's doing the same thing as Peter. He's offering us a divinely inspired commentary on these verses. See, we have the resurrection all the way back in the Old Testament, don't we? David is looking forward to Jesus. We, we might ask, if we go back to Psalm 16, and you can take your fingers out of the New Testament now. We, we'll, we'll be done there. I don't want to leave you all tied up and twisted in your Bible with your fingers there holding all these places. We go back to Psalm 16. In verse 10, David says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And if we back up before that, he says that his heart is glad and his whole being rejoices, that his flesh also dwells secure. And we, we, might, we might ask a question there. We might say, what, how, does, how can David say that his flesh is secure? I mean, it's very clear that when he died, he saw corruption. 
What become of his flesh when he saw corruption after he died in his grave? We know what happens. How can he then say that his flesh was secure? It's because he looked forward, right? To one who would be born. One who would eventually come from his body. What tribe was Jesus from? He's from Judah. What tribe was David from? He's from Judah. There's a really important connection here. David sees Jesus' resurrection as his resurrection. And the application to us is exactly the same. Christ's resurrection is ours. Doesn't the Apostle Paul tell us in Ephesians 2 that all believers have been raised up in Jesus? David looked forward to the day when the Messiah would come. This morning we're sitting here looking at the fact that he's already come. And we look forward to his return, don't we? He promises to return. We're not gathered here this morning to celebrate a dead Savior. We're gathered here this morning to celebrate a living Savior. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He is the great I Am. He is the Adonai. He is the Sovereign One. How can David rejoice in his flesh? How could he not rejoice in his flesh with this kind of news? What's keeping us from doing it? Do we believe this stuff? See, we have a snapshot right here of saving faith and operation. We have a snapshot here of saving faith as it exerts itself. Does this look anything familiar to you? As you exert your faith before Almighty God, does it have any resemblance to this? It's a question we should be asking ourselves. It's actually a subject that maybe we should take up in prayer and say, Lord, this is what? This is what I want to look like. This is exactly what I want to look like. Preserve me, O oh God. Well in my heart a love for the children of God, for my brothers and sisters. Bring me into pure worship. Teach me pure worship. Instruct me. Give me this vision. And, oh, Lord, may I drink of the resurrection ever so deeply that it would, I would ponder it every day and hour of my life. That's what saving faith looks like. That's what saving faith is. Maybe ask the Lord to work these graces in our hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, O Lord, for this great snapshot of saving faith being exerted before you. And, O Lord, we pray that you would give us increase in measure in this, that, Lord, as we exert our faith before you, Lord, it would be of the pedigree of saving faith that, O Lord, uh, we would indeed, O oh Lord, uh, be found becoming more and more like this. That, O oh Lord, we would treasure the things that are yours, that we would treasure your people, that we would cast ourselves at your mercy for our preservation. That, O oh Lord, we would seek only you for instruction. That, Lord, we would have that great vision to set you always before us and that we would see the resurrection of Jesus Christ as our own. 
that just as he was raised one day, we will also be raised as well. So, Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.